Okay, today we're in part three of our series, Epiphany. And this is, by the way, if you're a guest, we're just glad you're here because this series, we believe, is vital to stepping into the new year in the way God would want us to. In just a moment, not yet, but in just a moment, I'm going to play a little video clip for you to set up today's topic. But before I do, let's remember where we've come from. Epiphany. Now, now some of you go, well, why are we calling it Epiphany? Well, a couple things. First off, on January the 6th, historically, January 6th is called the Day of Epiphany in churches. The Day of Epiphany. And it is a Christian festival observed on January the 6th commemorating when the wise men, also known as the Magi, met Jesus. And so since we are in the month of January, we're spending the entire month of January looking at what it means to live wise lives, to not miss what God wants to do. Because the word epiphany simply means an aha moment. Epiphany is just a light bulb moment. It's that moment you go from thinking the world is one way to going, oh no, it's this way. It's not that way. And we believe That God has aha moments prepared for anyone willing to live wisely because here's our key idea. You ready? Go ahead and put this on screen. Wise people, wise people see what others don't because they do what others won't. Wisdom is not more information. Wisdom is applying the information you've been given. And when we look at the story of these magi, the wise men, they got to see something that no one else got to witness. They traveled great distances and met this young boy, Jesus. We believe that Jesus was probably a couple of years old by the time they arrived. We believe that because the word for child is used instead of baby when they show up to the house not to the stable when they arrive, but they come, they see the sight that no one else got to see because they did what no one else was willing to do. And here's the thing. Some of you are going to choose to do certain things beginning this season, and you're going to see what God has prepared for you in brilliant, beautiful ways. And so each week, we're just looking at a lesson. What does it look like to live wisely like these wise magi so that we don't miss what God wants to show us? And so today, to kind of whet your whistle and to help you as we get into it, I want to show you a clip, and here's the question I want you to think about. What does this clip have to do with Epiphany? All right, you ready? Here it is. And a What about that classic? Any of you remember John Denver from back before? Yeah. So what does that have to do with Epiphany? Well, let me give you a couple things. First off, what is the title of that song? The how many days? The 12 days of Christmas. Historically, the church has celebrated the 12 days following Christmas Day from the 26th of December through and ending on January the 6th, which is the day of 
Epiphany, the twelfth day. The song also is about this unbelievable, ludicrous levels of generosity, of a beloved giving to another so much. And the story of the Magi, of the wise men, is a story of extravagant generosity. If you want to write this down, today's third wise step that I'm convinced is necessary for us to grow into the wisdom and to see what God has called us to see is this. Wise people live to give extravagantly. Wise people live to give extravagantly. Let's say this all together. Wake up for two seconds. Just say this and then go back to sleep. Are you ready? Wise people live to give extravagantly. This is one of the marks, one of the stepping stones to wisdom. And if you want to see what others don't, then this is one of the things that God is going to invite you to do because it is so fundamental for growing in wisdom. In fact, we're going to just read the story one more time of the wise men and notice what they give. Matthew chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 says this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. He asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for that is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go, make careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, not the stable, they saw the child, not the baby, with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, gold, frankincense, myrrh, these gifts... Here's the first thing I want you to know is that these gifts were painfully practical and they were spiritually significant. They were painfully practical because in just a few short hours or a few short days, King Herod would find out that the wise men had tricked him. They had not come back to report where this new king was coming from. And so he says, I'm just going to kill all the newborn boys in, Jer- in Bethlehem, age two years old and younger. And so God comes to Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, in a dream, says, quickly, take the child and his mother and go to Egypt. But God, I don't have family in Egypt. Don't worry. I just so happen to have brought some financial gifts that you can use on your exile to Egypt. 
In other words, as one old preacher put it, if it's God's will, then it's God's bill. And so he sends them down. The timing of the wise men is practical. The gift is practical, but it's also significant spiritually. Because each one of these has some significance. Gold was a gift fit for a king. You would give this to a newborn king. Frankincense was a sweet-smelling resin or sap used to be burned in the temple by the high priest when he made sacrifice on behalf of the nation of Israel. And myrrh? Myrrh was a sweet-smelling oil that the prophets of God would use to anoint the chosen of God. In other words, the three gifts point to Jesus' role as the prophet, the spokesman of God to us. Jesus is the word of God, correct? He is the high priest of God, making sacrifice on our behalf to God. He died, so we don't, correct? And Jesus is the king, not of a nation, but of all creation, I don't know if they knew what they were doing when they gave these gifts, but this is what they meant. He is the biggest, the best. He is what we need. He is who we celebrate. And so I want to give you three things that we learn about giving from the wise men. Here's the first thing, three things. Write these down. Number one, we learn from their gift that their gift was an act of praise. It was an act of praise. Whenever you give, understand it is not simply something you do. It is an act of of worship and act of praise. Do you notice in verse 2, when they roll into Jerusalem, they go to the palace, they ask the king, because that's where you expect a king to be born is in a palace, and they say, hey, where is this king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to, notice this, worship him. Now, what's interesting is when you go down to verse 11, we're told they worship and they give gifts. But in verse 2, it says nothing about gift giving. Do you think they just forgot that they had gifts to give? No. Because they know what all truly wise people know. That giving is an act of worship. It is an act of praise. You cannot, hear me now, you can give without worshiping God. But you can never worship God without giving. Giving is part of what it means to be a praising and worshiping people. And here's why we know this. Here's why we know this. What you give, how you spend your life, how you spend your resources is a reflection of what you value, of who you are inside. And so so to simply say with our mouths that we celebrate God, but we don't give with our lives, there's something that doesn't connect, is there? Now, I love what I heard this week. Did you guys see the news reports a couple days ago of the Michigan man who found over $43,000 hidden in the seat cushions of the couch he bought. Did you hear about this guy? I'm talking about a, I mean, that's a, that's a boatload of money, $43,000. His name is Howard Kirby. Maybe you saw this. He went to the local Habitat for Humanity resale shop because he couldn't afford a brand new couch. So he goes and he buys this one. He gets it home, he positions it, and his daughter sits on it, and it ain't comfortable. It's lumpy. It's hard. And so they start to figure out what's wrong with this thing. They start to unzip the seat cushions, and as they do, she begins to pull out rolled up 
$100 bills out of the couch. How many of us would break into a little bit of a praise dance at that moment? Hey, it didn't fall from the sky, it just landed in my lap. I mean, God is good. And I'm thinking about, man, what would I do with $43,000? That is fantastic. And so he got some legal advice like, hey, am I under any obligation to give this to somebody? And he was told, no, you bought the couch and whatever was within the couch, it's yours. He's like, yes. But his conscience wouldn't let him. He's like, "Ah, I probably need to find out who this came from. So he goes back through Habitat for Humanity. He asks, he says, can you help me find the, the person who gave this? And they said, well, the person who gave it actually is deceased. It was given by his granddaughter. And so he goes, I, I can't keep this. I, so they call the granddaughter. Her name is Kim. And when she gets there, there they begin to hand out rolls of $100 bills. And her eyes get bigger and bigger. And she's like, yay, there is a God. And Howard Kirby, Howard Kirby, here's the thing that's so incredible to me. Howard Kirby made this statement. He said, I always wondered what I would do if I was ever put in a position like this. And now I know. And now I know who I really am. He had an epiphany, an aha moment that he would never have had. Hear me now. He would never have known who he truly was was had he not chosen to be generous. Listen to me. Your giving is an act of praise. It's easy for me to say I'm generous. It's easy for me to think I'm generous. But as our Savior says, for where your treasure is, where your money is, where your resources are, there your heart will be also. In other words, your resources, your money drives your heart. And you will never know who you truly are. You will never be a fully wise person until you practice generosity. And the wise men knew this. They knew this. And they knew what so many other people know. They knew that if they would drive where their finances went, they would drive where their heart would go also. Listen to me. If you don't like the destination of your heart, you need to change where you're steering it with your money. And the first step of generosity, the first thing we learn is that They gave because it was an act of praise. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. Their giving was a priority. Wise people recognize that giving is not simply an act of praise, but it is a priority. You know what a priority is, right? It's the top of your to-do list. It's that thing that if you don't do it, it will eat you up. It's on your mind. It bugs you. It keeps you up at night. It is a priority. Notice when they roll into town... They say, we're going to worship this Jesus, and we're going to bring him good gifts. Can you imagine when they got to the house? Had they come in, they see the Christ child, they see Mary, his mother, maybe Joseph's there. We know Joseph's still alive because the angel is going to show up in a dream shortly. Can you imagine? They get there, and they all bow down. And then, can you imagine maybe Melchior looks over at Casper? You know, we don't know if those were their real names, but I like the names. We'll use them. So Melchior, it's like, now, Casper, why don't you give them the gifts? And then Casper's like, um, <clears throat> I thought you had the gifts. Can you imagine Melchior was like, no, I left it on the counter next to the back door. Don't you remember? 
It's a pile of gold. How did you miss this? And then Casper's like, well, yeah, but Balthazar was supposed to remind us. And he didn't. he's like, why are you throwing me under the bus? I always do it. You guys are grown men. Can you imagine if that had happened? But it didn't. Because it was a priority. It was important for them. In fact, if something's a priority, write this down. It, you will have a plan if it is a priority. We plan for things that are priorities. In fact, if you do not have a plan for something, then it is not really a priority. You can say that you're all for getting in shape, but if you don't have a plan for it, it's not a priority. You can say, I want to enhance my marriage, but if you don't have a plan for it, then it's not a priority. You can say, I want to help my children to grow up wise and well and know Jesus, but if you don't have a plan for it, then it's not a priority. Same with your giving. These guys had a plan to prioritize their giving. You say, how do we know this? Well, let's just talk about where they came from. We don't know exactly, but we're told they came from the east. Here's a map. Let me just give you a couple possibilities. We think that they probably came from somewhere in ancient Babylon or what would have been ancient Babylon. The site that I have marked for you here is called Daniel's Tomb. There's a cathedral built there now. This is in the western side of modern-day Iran, part of ancient Babylon. So let's just assume for a moment that they traveled from this site. It may have been even further east, but from this site, by camel or foot, all the way to Bethlehem. Now, can you read how many miles? Miles is the smaller number. How many miles do you see up there? 984 miles. How long do you think that took? How many miles did they walk? How many miles did they ride? How much preparation did it take? See, listen to me. The, pre- the plan did not begin when they got on the road. The plan began before they left their house. They said, this is such an important thing that we will prepare, we will plan, we'll get it set. And man, there's so much here, so so we're going to start setting aside some of our income so that way we have a gift when we meet the king. And then when we get on the road, man, that's a lot of money and that's a dangerous thing over 900 plus miles, almost a thousand miles. We need security. And so they may have had a group of guards or people who would help protect what they were carrying. Do you understand? They had a plan because it was a priority. And this is one of the reasons that as a family from day one, every year when we reevaluate our annual budget, the very top line for us as a family is our giving before taxes or anything else. Now, I'm not saying you do that. I'm just telling you what we do. Because we want to know and we want to say this is the top priority. And every year we reevaluate and then we find a plan to do it. By the way, our plan is an electronic plan. Our church allows electronic giving, and we've just found for our family, we forget things. And so for us, we just do an electronic giving. It's reoccurring. It's easy. If I preach somewhere as a guest and receive an honorarium, or if I do, you know, do something else and receive an honorarium or whatever else, then I'm able to also automatically give a gift because I want to be a generous person. And this is just the way we do it. I'm not saying the way you do it, but you need a plan. And I'm going to give you two things, two quick ways, two suggestions. Number one, if you don't have a plan, you need to go to the Financial Peace University this Wednesday night. Again, this Wednesday, you just show up. You be a part of it. Let us know you're coming so we have a seat, but you come. You be a part of it. Because if you don't have a plan, then it's not a priority. And here's the second thing. Some of you are going, man, I I want to do this, but I have turned things upside down. Maybe I've made some mistakes, or maybe I'm young, or I'm just not sure. And I'm not able to give what I want to give. Listen, start somewhere. Give something. 
Just because you can't give what you think you ought to give, give something. Because wise people know that giving must be a priority and you need a plan for it to be a priority. Here's the third thing. Notice that it was proportional. It was proportional. You say, what does that mean? Here's what I mean. They had a lot, so they gave a lot. On the other hand, you remember the story in the New Testament, but this happens about 30 to 33 years after these guys roll up to Jesus' place. Jesus is now a grown man in the middle of his ministry, and he's there at the temple in Jerusalem. And he sees this woman. She's an old widow woman, and she only has a couple of pennies to her name. And yet, when she goes to give, she gives both pennies, and he is flabbergasted. By the way, what would it be like to flabbergast Jesus by our generosity? Have you ever thought that you can impress God, that you can take his, his words away almost? And Jesus goes, wow, she gave so much. And all of his disciples are like, really? There's just, they're just like two pennies. And Jesus says, yeah, but that is all she had. Proportionately, it was a magnificently extravagant gift. Listen, for some of you, extravagant generosity is going to be $5 and God will celebrate your act of faith and your growing in wisdom. For others in here, $5 won't touch it. For some, it's going to be $500,000 or maybe a million. I don't know what it is for you and it's not my business. What is, is just to say this, what you give, what you give, What you give ought to be something that says to the Lord, I trust you. It is proportionate. It is proportionate to what he's given you. I was thinking about it earlier this week, back to the, when I was learning about this idea of giving God something from what I've received. I was, I'm not sure how old, maybe six, seven, somewhere in there. And I remember my mom and dad at the time uh, gave us an allowance of $2 a week. And the rule was, We get to keep $1 and we give $1 to God. So one for us, one for God. And I'm not sure what happened. I think probably someone decided to teach me about tithing. How many of you know what tithing is? Anyone in here know what tithing is? Tithing, the word tithe simply means a tenth. And after I heard this wonderful thing called the tithe, the tenth, I realized that I was giving God way more than I needed to give to God. After all, a tenth of $2 is not $1. It's what, math majors? 20 cents. So I went to my dad. I said, Father, I need to explain to you what the tithe is. And clearly, I am, uh, I'm overpaying here. And I remember dad, he just looked at me. And of course, in his mind, I'm sure he's thinking, do you not know where that money's coming from first, boy? And I said, dad, I, I'm only supposed to give 20 cents. And I don't think it's fair that I have to give a whole dollar. So dad said, I'll tell you what, why don't you go to your room for about 10 minutes, and I just want you to list in your mind or on a piece of paper all the things that God's given to you, and then you come back and we'll discuss what you think would be a reasonable response. So I I went, I did it, I came back. He said, well, show me your list, and we talked about it, and well, he gave me life. He gave me a family. He gave me this home, gave me these clothes, gave me these sisters, and then I marked those off because that didn't count. (laughs) And he gave me all this stuff. And, and, and as I started going through it, the, the realization kicks in. And, he, and I said, Daddy, I, he gave me everything. And Dad says, okay, so how much do you think is a reasonable response to give to him? I said, well, probably all of it. He said, yeah. But I bet Jesus will be okay if you keep a dollar. 
Church, what has Jesus done for you? We get into this mode of, what do I have to give? And we miss out on the opportunity to say, look what I get to give. And there's one last thing I want to share with you. Can, you. can you hang with me for just another moment? Last thing, here it is. The incredible thing about this story, yes, they were generous. It was amazing. But here's what's so interesting to me. These men did not have to leave their comfortable homes to be successful. They were already successful before they left. They had the money that the world said they needed. They had the education. They were magi. They were studied men. They knew the stars. They knew everything. They had the title of magi. They were respected within their communities. If you were to say, who is a successful person today, their pictures would pop up. They had it all. They did not need to leave the comfort of their home to be successful. But church, listen to me. They could not stay in the comfort of their own homes and be significant. The only reason we know who these guys are, the reason that these guys are so well-known, put this up, the reason these guys are so, the wise men are not well-known because they're rich. They're not known because of that. The wise men are known because they were generous. I know a lot of people who are going to die with no one knowing who they are. Having resources is not the same thing as having significance. But they said, we will not live such small and petty lives as to live for success and miss out on something greater. And think about this, because they gave, because they gave, they showed up at the right time with a resource so that Joseph could get his son and his wife out of harm's way down to Egypt. They had the finances to do it. Because they gave, Joseph then brought his family out of Egypt and the Old Testament prophecy that said that the Messiah, the chosen one, Jesus, would come from Egypt because they gave an Old Testament prophecy was fulfilled. Because they gave, because they gave. And here's the other thing that blew my mind. I started thinking about this. The whole of scripture says that everything you and I have comes from whom? Do you know who it comes from, family? By the way, if you don't know the answer, it's probably Jesus or God. Okay, so let's try this again. Where do all of your good gifts come from, church? God. This means even your ability to earn money came from God. Here's the incredible thing. Do you realize that God entrusted the safety of his son to the generosity of pagan magi? What might God be giving to you? And he's saying, I'm entrusting to you the next chapter of the mission of my church. What is it that God may be putting in your hands? And he says, use it, enjoy it, but don't forget to be generous because you will never know who I am for. You will never see yourself rightly. You will never get the aha moments of my activities in this world until you practice and live a life of extravagant generosity. Here's the bottom line, point number three. The third step of wisdom is simply this. Wise people, and I hope you're one. Wise people, you can become this if you're not. Wise people live to give extravagantly. And don't you underestimate what God may do in your time, in this place, this morning. So many of you, so many of you are givers, and I'm so grateful for you. And we got to witness the birth of a new life in our place because of your generosity. 
And not only yours, but because of the generosity of those who came before in this church, who you don't know, people who I don't know. But when we get to heaven, we will celebrate that God gave through so many generous people. And as a result, we got to be a part of something great. Final question. These men did not know who Jesus was going to be. They didn't know he was going to die for the sins of the world. They did not know that he was going to rise on the third day. But church, you know this story, don't you? So final question, are you ready? Do you want to be outgiven by a group of men who don't know the story? Or do you want to say, I can't do any less because I know so much? May God bless those who take this wise step.